everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not riding or running or yogaing lately, I'm probably writing about it. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we talk to all different types of movers and people who study movement and, and you know, people who look for community and enjoyment in their, their sport and their movement. And that really is... The consummate athlete, someone who is able to move and enjoy different types of movement, thrive in different types of environments. And that's why you're here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Thank you for being here with Molly and I. We are here in March 2020. Almost. Actually, it's like the last day of March as we're recording this. So we're we're almost into right. April. Right. Yeah. Just narrowly into April. Let's hope that uh, as March goes out like a lion... I don't think that's how the saying goes, but... Well, it came in like a lamb, I guess, maybe a little gentler, and it's pretty intense right now. Yeah. So hopefully everyone's doing well, and, you know, I mean, as well as, as you can in the, the current situation and current climate. Um, yeah, here's here's hoping you're, you and your families are safe and healthy. So we're keeping on this this path of, you know, sort of dealing with different questions and stuff related to movement, sport, and training. Certainly we have... The overarching, uh, almost unspeakable, I guess, in some ways. But I we, think we can say I guess COVID-19. We are dealing with that. But I think a lot of these questions ultimately relate to when it's winter, when we're injured, you know, when training is disrupted, it's not quite perfect. You know, we're stressed for different types of reasons. Obviously, this is a unique experience because everyone's dealing with this in, in similar ways in some fashion, but it's also different, right? As far as what everyone's facing with, you know, different limitations on where they are, family, rules in different countries, and, and even just, I guess, provinces, states, right? Mm-hmm. Regions. Yeah, well, now that we're kind of officially out of like the, the self-isolation phase for us, we came back from Spain a couple weeks ago, so we've been, you know, in this self-isolation mode, but we're, we're past the 14 days and both feeling healthy, and thank you for everyone that's asked. Um, so how are, how are we dealing with training right now? Well, I think we're trying to, you know, we, we had the added challenge, which we're very good at adding extra challenges to our, our stuff. We travel a lot, which is great, and we're very fortunate, but we also often are, are like on this, like, not shoestring, but this very narrow path, <laughs> like, if there was chaos on either side, which there happened to be here as we left Spain, um, you know, all these plans we have stacked up, sometimes it gets a little wild. So we had to get back to the U.S., into our van not talk to anyone because we're supposed to be self-quarantined, obviously, get back across the Canadian border. And then our our home, our condo, had been rented out as a ski season. So it was like really basic, like none of our stuff was there. All of our stuff was in like storage and at uh, relatives. And yes, yeah, so we had to like reset up a condo, but we couldn't go, you know, you go to you need to go to Home Depot to get like some hangers or something. It's right? honestly shocking both like how much you like how much you you need when you first start setting stuff up. You're like, oh my gosh, I really wish we had this, had this, had this. But then actually after like a week of that, you start kind of figuring out like, oh, we didn't really need X, Y, and Z. Like when we finally got to go out, I realized I like needed to get a lot less as far as getting set up than I kind of had on my list before we got home and I was making the list of like how to get the condo back in the shape that I wanted it to be and stuff. Right. 
So I've been kind of surprised by so that. Maybe a bit of a, an approach towards, I guess, minimalism, I guess. But all that to say, we've been really focused this last week or two, somewhat by force, but also by need. And I think understanding that like we had to get to a, a setup where, you know, we could work, whatever that means these days um, and exercise in a variety of different ways. We're still dealing with the end of winter. Um, you know, in, in Ontario, it just rains on and off and is really cold and then it snows randomly. So we're dealing with weather as well as along with all these like confines on what you're allowed to move and how much and where and everything else. So we're trying to set up options for, you know, home. Do we have our dumbbells? Do we have the yoga stuff. We've got, we had a treadmill in storage that we sort of, that was the workout of the day to get the treadmill back up. I was up. just going to say, I'm not actually um, going to use it. I just wanted the workout of like lifting it up steps. And we've been doing work, you know, back and forth, talking to people and just sort of working out routes and stuff as far as being able to stay away from people and abide by those rules, but also just stay safe as far as away from cars and stuff when I do ride um, and just sort of sussing out routes so that I can start getting back into my intervals as I start feeling, you know, more centered and on the time zones and everything else. Uh, and I, so I think that that's a lot of this first two weeks is figuring out routine and setting up things, you know, habits and so forth that then we can start trying to um, thrive if if not just survive it through this period, right? This maintenance period even. Yeah. And I mean, I pretty quickly jumped into, I've been doing some virtual yoga sessions for Ontario Cycling and you can actually find over on their website, they have a lot of them. Uh, linked so you can actually go back and do them so if you want sort of a 40 minute uh, I'll call it power yoga but with like cycling in mind you can head over there and grab that um, we'll try to put a link to that in the show notes but that's been really fun we've had actually 30 to 40 people jumping on pretty much every session so it's actually you know it's it's more people than I would have in an in-person class so that's been kind of funny um, oh and Peter we forgot to say our most consummate athlete thing that we've we've gotten in the last two weeks once i could finally go out to grocery shop i picked up a little table tennis set molly got beaten quite badly at the badly the, the, like, the, the gym here in town we had a wonderful christmas party every year and so molly got completely had and it became evident that her her fundamental movement skills uh around uh moving it's not my fault. I never played these as a kid. I'm trying right? to think of what this is actually called, but like her hand-eye coordination, essentially. Not like, good. Yeah, manipulating a, a something, right? So a racket. Like, you know how everyone has like those moments in their head that just kind of stand out as like super embarrassing moments. Well, that that Christmas party, it was teams, right? So this is this is what makes it even worse. So it wasn't even that I was, you know, just sucking on my own. I was suck I was bringing my whole team down. We still actually won. And whenever I look at the lovely coffee mug that my team won, I just feel this awful surge of guilt that I was completely <laughs> useless. Right. So it's just, yeah. I almost bought a dartboard too because I also sucked at the darts, but I figured one at a time. Well, yeah, those are two good things, right? That sort of precision throwing and then also... The dartboard uh, was way pricier though. So I was like, you know what? We're going to start a table tennis. Yeah, and I've had a few clients. You know, everyone's dealing with this again. We have kids at home is another whole layer that we don't necessarily have to deal with. Um, but a lot of my clients... you say necessarily. Like maybe we have a kid that's like... Well, I mean, we have nieces and nephews and hopefully we can help out here in the community now that we're not as... as... But that said, I have clients who have kids at home. So we're trying to integrate them into some of our quote unquote training, right? Like our, our movement in the day, right? This could be walks. This could be, um, again, things like, you know, you have your little strength workout you're doing at home, your yoga routine. There's no reason kids really like 
a lot of strength stuff, right? And they're really, they come up with some crazy stuff. Like it's some of my favorite sessions at the gym is you just give the kids, you know, you try and guide them so they don't make anything super dangerous, but we've made some cool obstacle courses. They love obstacle courses and you can make, you know, movements like animals. So like your, your bear crawl and different crawls, crab walks. Um, they love stuff like that. And you can start doing like precision throws. So you could use a ping pong ball and, you know, play basketball in the house or catch or, lots of these different things, right? That's really fun. And for adults is actually quite challenging when you mm-hmm. start moving around like that. Yeah. So, you know what? I'm going to say, I think it was stress that made me so bad at table tennis that night because I feel like I'm not as bad as, as it maybe seemed like I was. Well, I November. told you then you weren't receptive to it, but it was just, no one had shown you how to hold a racket and sort of the fundamentals of hitting with a ping pong. And you were trying to basically like, molly molly smash this like small ping pong ball and it's 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 a a explosive sport but it's also very precise so you have to be very careful precision not my middle name so you got it we'll work on this it's good yep the other thing i've been doing my friend Kristen uh started doing a pull-up challenge with with her friends and has been posting a ton of videos so Luckily, we have a pull-up bar, so I kind of jumped yeah, into that. Yeah, just a doorway one. I, you know, it's t- a tough time to go out and shop, and I don't know that we're encouraging that. Um, but certainly, the doorway pull-up bars—if you can get one—you can get them pretty much anywhere. Like Walmart has them, Amazon has it for like twenty bucks. I think, as far as gimmicky um, fitness equipment, like it's a pretty easy thing to store. They're not that expensive, and even if you just hang off of it and like put your arms over your head and you never do an actual pull up on it. I think there's a lot of benefit from it, you know, versus what other stuff do people buy? Like, I mean, treadmills would be an obvious, like super expensive and super in the way. Can't well, those, store it. There's Nautilus, like 18 different type of like, yeah. Uh, like the home gym. Things, so yeah. when you think about like cost and just the room it takes up in your home, uh, the pull apart to me just seems like one that, you know, even just from a stretching perspective, like putting arms overhead, like no one does that. Mm-hmm. So, that's a really yeah. easy win. But I think if you don't have access to that, I think there's a, most people, you know, there's a lot of stuff around like your stir the pot with a stability ball or like the ab roller would be like a similar motion. That motion of like just stabilizing your whole body and just feeling that tension as your arms go over your head. A lot of people can really progress. And that could be even like a dish towel on the kitchen floor or something to just slide your arms a little ahead while doing a plank basically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then any sort of row. So like, pulling your thumb into your armpit, uh, doing like a dumbbell row or a TRX row, some sort of row like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of, but you're just going straight. Just do the pull-ups. Just you t- you the told pull-ups. me one more every day yep. and you're going to be at 10 in a couple days. That's how you do it. I told obviously. you it maybe doesn't work like that, but you seem to be proving me <laughs> wrong thus far. So. You just wait till we get off this podcast. Okay. Well, anyway. we do have a bunch of questions here. And like I say, we'll, we'll try and treat them generally as much as we'll treat them specifically here just so the content is evergreen but also not so depressing maybe but also usable in the future for you as well very well said dear right okay first question um is there any benefit or drawback of walking daily say 30 to 90 minutes in addition to endurance cycling training plan um, other than potentially sanity well, the sanity was like that. That wouldn't be a drawback. I think they're saying no. Like, that's like the benefit. Oh, I, I mean, I think the answer is no. Two drawbacks. Yes, two benefits. All benefits. Yeah. I mean, I don't think like most people are not pushing their limits so much. Like, yeah, I, I don't see what the downfall would be. 
like walking has so many mental and physical the stress reduction getting outside it's one of the few things that seems to be allowed around the world right now um you can do it with people of a variety of fitness levels you can do phone calls while you do it for cyclists it moves you through like your hip range of motion ankle range of motion arm range of motion like our arms really go behind us hips like our legs really go behind us as cyclists and people generally we just sit in chairs and sit on a bike right so it's it's sort of like built-in mobility meditation a low level aerobic training that like a lot of cyclists are missing when we're talking about like blood sugar regulation and like quote unquote fat burning. Yeah. I I don't know what the the downside would be. Yeah. I think especially right now where, you know, a lot of people are shifting to using their or continuing to use their indoor trainer versus going outside just because, you know, their risk tolerance is a bit lower and they're nervous about whether it's mountain biking or just road riding alone. You just don't really necessarily want to be doing that for, for some people. I mean, for some people, Riding outside is working totally fine and not an issue, but for some people who maybe aren't as comfortable, like walking is just, yeah, an awesome way to get outside during the day and get in some. some I think so. And I've talked about in the past that like I've actually replaced um, a bit of my cycling volume with just walking more. Right. And we'll walk in an ideal world, um, a normal world. we'll, We'll certainly like log a lot of steps, a lot of like hours in a day Mm -hmm. and some of that like i'll do phone calls with clients you know phone family um you know and then we'll a big chunk of time we spend together sort of end a day or midday sort of break we'll go and talk and so it's important for our relationship um but yeah i'll just like get off the rollers and we've done this here in the last couple weeks like get off the rollers and then you know go for a quick walk or something right yeah um, I think maybe the only the only caveat I'll add is, especially if you're doing a lot of volume on the bike or training really hard, is just like those 90-minute walks. I mean, it, it seems really low level, but sometimes those can end up making you pretty hungry. Um, I definitely have been guilty of going out a little too a little too low on the energy stores and coming back like almost a little lightheaded, like bonked from walking. Um, yes. So just keep keep an eye on that. I think if you're stacking it, for sure, you need to not underestimate just even the time of the day and how much you've depleted yourself for sure. Right. Like this energy availability concept of like, if you haven't had breakfast and then you've already depleted yourself in a workout and then you're also going like, you're still moving. Right. And again, it is a, a movement and it is like, if you're thinking about the total energy in the day, this is a a concept of just energy availability. If you're just going to have 2000 calories in the day total, but they all come at dinner, then you're going to be depleted a lot of the day. And so this is sort of that emerging emerging science, I guess, around uh, energy availability, where like you're just like at a super negative, so your body's super stressed from that. So this is sort of tangential to walking, but Molly's point is is valid that you want to be careful that you, if you're extending the session with walking, that you don't underestimate that just because it's quote unquote just walking. Or even I find, and maybe this is just us, but like we tend to walk right before dinner, but that's for me a few hours after lunch. Right. So really that like 4 p.m. snack pre-walk is probably not the worst idea. So just, you know, bear in mind that it's it's not a zero sum activity. You are still burning fuel when you do it. Yeah, I think so. I think, and yeah, by all means stack it with trips to grocery store and, and that sort of thing, right? Like it's, it's just such a great activity that can be incorporated you know, as a, you know, a rainy day workout, right? If it's just rainy out and you don't feel like riding the trainer, like 
go and do this low level aerobic, right? Like the nice thing right now is because there isn't many races on the calendar, you know, we don't know when that's coming back. There's no reason that we can't be out doing some of this cross training, right? And I think it fits into that bucket. And then I think for health, so many of us, like, again, we're not speaking to necessarily like your pro tour road riders where we're pushing the limits of elite athletics. We're talking about adults who are trying to stay healthy and live as long as we can and, you know, maintain activities of daily living. So, and not pushing, right? Like we just don't have the time to maximize our aerobic training for cycling. So why would we not add some of this quote unquote training and health supporting things, right? Again, if we get a win in body composition and stress reduction, um, if there's any benefit to endurance, right? Again, that's endurance in, in this global sense of fuel utilization around uh, like using more fat, right? Like it's a low level aerobic. I don't know. I think the answer is go for it or, yeah, or, or get out and walk. Is there a downside? No. Yeah. I don't see it. Yeah. Cool. All right. Next question. How not to lose all my muscles when I have no gym access? Um, really missing the squats and clean and jerks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's that's definitely a lot of people right now, especially, you know, if you're kind of in a routine of, you know, you do these heavier weights and most very few of us have really full home gym setups. Right. And, you know, as a lot of us currently like can't go out and get, you know, really heavy things, you can maybe sneak out and grab like a kettlebell or something when you're at Walmart, but you're just not going to be able to get like a full barbell or something. Right. And, and you maybe don't even want to right like maybe like do you want that in your house long term yeah no one no one really needs a squat rack if you're an endurance cyclist well i mean hard to say like if you had the space in the garage gym then fine but peter we don't need a squat rack well we don't have the space for sure uh so i will just i'll definitely link i already have the the link in there so it should be in the show notes um CSI Pacific just did, they did two, they did one on energy availability uh, and then also one here just with like detraining and they had Stu Phillips and Trent Stellenworth uh, on and those two guys are probably two of the best people to be speaking to this topic of sort of detraining. So that's worth checking out. They talk about it in terms of both strength and endurance and and what that detraining process looks like. And I think the overarching message in, in both cases for endurance maintenance and then also for strength is that it doesn't take a lot to maintain a large percentage of gains. Um, so they, they looked at a lot of the different studies that are out there and a lot of the studies are actually done in like bed rest and how, how quickly stuff is lost. Uh, and, and just even with like very little, like I think the endurance example was essentially like an elite level type of fitness, like a lot of fitness was maintained with two by 40 minute runs i believe it was and so i it it was like a high percentage like pretty conceivable and then like they were back relatively quickly right because a lot of it is we're maintaining things like plasma volume and and things that are like pretty quickly lost but also pretty quickly gained um so i thought that the the webinar was it's like an hour um and it's they do a good job of pulling in some science but also giving you some takeaways uh so i will link to that because they're better to speak to that i think towards the strength training um advice Stu phillips who does a lot of research in muscle and um sort of building muscle protein that sort of stuff he had a slide that i'll link i think i have the link to the actual like time in the webinar as well 
And his advice was basically that you can, even with lighter weights, if you, if you lift to failure, um, volitional failure, so like you're working quite hard, his, his point was to work with intention and focus. Um, so it, you might have to do more reps or more sets with a lighter weight, but perhaps at home, you know, you have enough dumbbells or you can maybe use a bit of one leg work or, or you know, in the example of say a, a push up or something, if you're trying to simulate bench press, you could raise your feet up a little bit. Um, and do like a heavier sort of harder, uh, bench press or sorry, chest, you know, exercise, uh, with the push up and, and do more sets, more reps and still hit like a, Oh, this got really hard all of a sudden, you know, I can't move as easily through that push up, starting to see form breakdown. And that last set, you have to really like maximally push hard. You can still see pretty good benefit as far as muscle building and, and strength. Cause the question I think was actually like, how do I not lose my muscles? So in, in that case, especially with hypertrophy and, and sort of muscle size, uh, that's actually a lot around the volume of the exercise, right? So I think you could actually do pretty well there. And I think we, a lot of us have a lot of gaps as far as that one leg body weight stuff, right? So thinking towards if you're used to squatting, can you do a pistol squat, like a one leg squat with pretty good depth? Most people like, Whoa. That would be very challenging. So mm -hmm. I think that was the, the main takeaways there was just sort of thinking towards, can you add more reps and do more volume with a lighter weight? Because that still has great benefit. And then also looking towards the number of sessions in the week, right? It might be something like doing, if you're home and you have the time, if you're used to doing two really heavy, hard sessions, maybe you could do three or four, you know, lighter sessions, but then again, going after that volume and frequency, yeah, I think there's also like an element of creativity as far as like getting using heavier weights. Um, I always think about the time you farmers carried the Wahoo trainer through most of the hotels in Vegas. Right. Um, you know, those smart trainers tend to weigh in like the 40, 50 pound range. So sure, that's not going to be your max deadlift. But, you know, could you do some of your deadlifts, you know, with that trainer or something right. to that effect? Um, and then, I mean, you can maybe argue against me, but I would probably start doing like if I was, you know, trying to do heavy squats or something or missed heavy squats, I would probably fill up our hiking pack with some of like the heavier weights I could find in the house, put the pack on and actually do squats like that. Well, or maybe step ups, right, would be more conducive, like because it would be a weird way to to you could hold the and maybe like goblet squat it more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, on your back, it would just be a weird placement of the load. But yeah, so yeah like I think you're, it, yeah. Or, or step up, right? Again, think towards one leg type exercises. Uh, and that might be a fun variation, right? Like again, the body likes some changes, right? Dan Jono, you know, the strength coach I always quote, he, he says everything works for six weeks. So if you've been doing six weeks of maximal strength in the gym or power or whatever it was with the heavier weights, it's not the worst periodization or planning structure to go and do a higher volume, quote unquote, hypertrophy or muscular endurance phase. You'll probably see actual benefits, right? And I think related to that is that like we're, we are okay to take some time off, right? Like a lot of times athletes will take a week or a month. They use an example of the marathoners taking like a full four weeks with no running. And these are like the best marathoners, right? So there is some benefit to taking time off mentally and physically a lot of us have injuries we're nursing through that like the real bent way to get around these injuries isn't any fancy foam rolling or exercises um it, it often is just like stop doing it for a bit right so 
you could take time off. You could also just switch up the stimulus, right? And the stimulus now might be three sets of 20 reps. Go and see what happens after six weeks of three sets of 20 reps, right? Like, can you do three sets of 20 pushups? Most of us can't. Um, you know, even if you were pushing pretty good load in a, again, I'm using the bench press just because everyone knows it, but squats are the same thing. If you've been doing five by five, what's the difference? Go and do five sets of 10. Yeah. Like it's a different feeling. So I definitely, I definitely feel this listener is like, there's something just awesome about lifting heavy. So I think I, I feel where that's coming from, but yeah, I mean, even the, if you're doing a lot of frequency and high volume with like a lighter weight, you're also getting some of that like aerobic or anaerobic training, you know, burpees are sure. much more, much more, um, metabolically. Yeah. You could go after like more of a, a CrossFit, like metabolic conditioning type thing. Um, for sure. So yeah. And of- that might be time limited, like at home, right? Like we're doing, I don't know if I mentioned that on the last one, but a little bit of like on the trainer and then off doing some circuit training. Right. And that's that, I think I did mention that the high intensity, uh, functional training. Yeah. I think we talked about that maybe a few weeks ago because mm-hmm. you've been, you've been into that idea for a while, but now you're finally getting to put it in practice because you have the trainer. Yeah. Yeah. And I've just been throwing that in as a rollers. So riding rollers on the bike, um, doing a bunch of one leg and high RPM work for 10 minutes and then hop off for burpees or a circuit and then back on and just sort of, usually I'll do like 10 minutes, five, 10 minutes of like just over my like like a couple RPM or a gear easier um, for like sort of recovery mentally and then back into sort of that coordination, like one leg, high RPM, really high RPM work and then back off and some strength work, right? And it just, time goes by pretty quickly and you hit a lot of skill buckets. You're getting on and off rollers. Um, so I'll do like a cyclocross dismount off the rollers. Hashtag cross is coming. And then working on my race starts on the rollers, which is always like crazy hectic, like sort of like getting going and then like right into standing and like moving the bike side to side. So it's, it's a very like intense, like skill session. And I I think like coming back to all of this is we're thinking about like, what are the key things that like our sport needs? So mountain biking start super important. I think dismounts are super important for cyclists, but especially off-road cyclists. Um, and just that basic strength and, you know, coordination cadence, super important. And then, but we're also thinking about what can we work on in our current environment, right? Like it may not be everything. Like right now I'd like to work on my descending for for my mountain biking, but it's not by weather and also a little bit by circumstance. It's just not super convenient right now, right? But could I go outside and work on whatever? Track stands are pretty available in small spaces. And again, any of these elements around cadence and can you ride rollers? Do you have rollers that are collecting dust? There's a lot of cyclists that have rollers and bought them and we're all excited, but then realized it takes a bit of skill and just threw them, you know, in the storage room. Mm -hmm. So thinking Uh. towards that, like what can we work on? Again, this relates to strength, right? Have you been ignoring the one leg stuff, you know, the single leg exercise? Have you been ignoring body weight exercises, right? Right. And I think that kind of lends itself nicely to the the kind of question we've gotten from a few people of how do I train outside or how to, like, I mean, how do I train inside? It seems to be a pretty popular question right now, but I think for a lot of people with racing off the calendar for the next couple of months, this is kind of unprecedented for right. most master cyclists or masters endurance athletes who have a race that's, you know, usually kind of coming up in the beginning of the season and then they're going to be racing every month. So instead of really training outside, they're actually 
pretty much racing, recovering, racing, recovering through the summer. So this is really new for a lot of people. Yeah, it's unique. A lot of my, again, adult working clients, a lot of them are stuck in northern sort of environments. So it's weird. I have this like question of there's like one question I get that's how do you like, what do you mean coaching and and cycle training for indoors? What is that? And then this exact opposite question, what do you mean cycle coaching and training for outdoors? Um, And it just sort of depends on people's entry point into the sport, right? Like sometimes they don't understand that like you can do intervals outside and that's like cycling training has existed for a hundred plus years. Um, You know, we've been doing hard hills and, you know, time trials and all these variations on intervals for a long time outside, right? But then those same people maybe just would hang up their bike maybe and not train on an indoor trainer, right? Or or maybe they only have ever done like an online Zwift thing. Some of the newer cyclists now don't realize that you could actually do intervals inside versus riding only on these Zwift things, right? And that you could follow a training program, right? And, and, and one or both of these may sound like, all oh, these are stupid questions to you. Um, but they are common, right? And when you think through them on some level, it's this, especially this outdoor one, which is what you're saying, like, what do you do when it's nice out, but you're not just going to races or recovering from races or even going to group rides maybe, right? And it's... Yeah, that's a huge one, right? Most people have, you know, the one group ride, then the one weekly race, and then like a race on the weekend. So there's virtually no time for anything other than those. Right. And so they haven't maybe trained for cycling as it was originally intended, right? Like where we go and do a bit of volume, right? Like maybe we can ride a bit more. Wouldn't that be, that'd be awesome if we could all ride outside, right? And without the immediate pressure of racing or recovering for races or after races. So it's really the same, right? Again, it could be hill repetitions on Tuesday and then a longer ride on Wednesday, you know, maybe another set of sort of intervals on Thursday would be a classic sort of set, Friday's off, Saturday, again, maybe a bit of intervals or a harder group ride. Sunday, you know, long and slow, right? Like that's your classic periodized base sort of routine. Peter, do you want to talk about how to actually do said intervals? I'm thinking that button that you really like on the cycling computer. I mean, it could be. I mean, I, I talk about the lap button a lot only because like the lap is the interval, right? So there's most watches like your old timex watch you know the stopwatch like the coach with the stopwatch like would be doing laps right so if you think about a runner going around a track every lap the coach would say oh you did your 400 meters or your quarter mile in whatever right one minutes we're doing 60 second quarter miles um you know so we could take that same analogy make that track into like a hill your local hill it's a 400 meter you know in distance and maybe you climb whatever you climb what would that be I don't know, 20 meters in that, right? So this is in a lot of river valleys and cities and stuff. You might have a bigger hill. You might not have a hill. It could be a a flat section of road, right? And we just go hard and we can press this lap button to say, go do our 400 meter climb. You know, it ends up at like a mailbox or, you know, whatever the end of the climb press lap to end that it took us whatever 60 seconds right so that's a 60 second hill interval. And then maybe we do 10 of those, right? And we recover between we coast back down the hill. So that's interval training that's a hill interval right you could do this on a track you could do it on a stretch of road you know from this signpost you know a a classic would be like a sign sprint you know we sprint at the the local sign sometimes we'll sprint at every town sign so that would be a form of intervals 
And then the other one would be, what else would we do? Like a time trial, right? Or something like that. So we could just press lap button. We're on a flat section of road and we ride at a certain heart rate or power for 10 minutes or for 10 kilometers, 10 miles. And we press lap, recover for a bit. And then maybe we do another 10 kilometers, you know, at some sort of moderate pace or heart rate or power, whatever you want. Right. And we just build that. The key thing I think in all of this is that the why for this training is we want to see progress in that training each week. So if we go back to our, let's use that example of that hill, that 60 second hill. What if we get next week, we could do that 60 second hill in 55 seconds, 10 by 55 seconds. So we're actually doing less interval time because we're getting faster, but we're going harder. Right. So that would be pretty cool to see that progress next week or the week after and it might only be seconds and it might only be some of the intervals and then you start getting tired and that's fine and you do some 60 second reps but the the cool thing about training that most of us are missing is that attention to detail that focus where we can actually see that we are getting faster week to week we're getting better at something right we're, we're able to control something and that's not something that you can really get in race results, right? Like you're in race results, you know, there's, there's no way to tell if you're getting faster or if everyone else is getting slower or. Yeah, not really. I mean, I think that is an important thing, that outcome, that result, but it is, it is, can, it, it has a lot of sources of error, right? Like it might be a better course for you or you just felt better and everyone's felt crummier. Yeah. So you suddenly know. you have a chance to actually really focus on the, the process oriented goals, so to speak. Yeah. And that's really like some people come at it and that's like everything for them. And it's actually like the racing that's harder to get motivated for, but the racing, the racing is an element. Right. And I think I've always been more on that side of things where like I, if I could go out and do that, like sort of hill interval or see that wattage or whatever improve or skills improve, like that was enough for me. And so to get motivated for racing was actually often tough. Right. Um, but the racing is where, you know, whatever the sponsors come from, where the community comes from often, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it is uh, in all, many ways, it also offers the testing of the like nerves on the race line, right? You might yeah. get nervous for a hill interval workout or a, a test, you know, which is just a workout as well. But the racing, I think the the why for it and why we hope that it comes back is that it does offer that like, this is super scary and like everyone's watching and you know, you're actually competing with someone else, right? There's a bit of aggression. So I think for me, that was always the thing was trying to get that scariness, right? Which is uncomfortable, but you force yourself to do it. And Mm -hmm. it's good when it's good. Um, So did did we answer that question? Yeah. But any last notes as far as like mountain biking goes? Okay. So we're, we're outside training. So then a, a subsequent question that someone might ask with, how do you train outside? They might ask, well, how do you train for mountain biking? Don't you just go mountain bike? And and for sure, that's true. But we can we can mountain bike with a certain goal in mind. So I often give the example of the hill interval. So this might be a gravel road. Sometimes we'll do intervals on pavement, even like a hard pavement climb on a mountain bike, right? And there's a lot of, if you think about a mountain bike race, there's often pavement or some sort of smooth climb section. Um, there's often for people in cities like there's often a lot of grass like grass climbs like mount saint anne one of the most technical courses there's actually a fair bit of time climbing and even descending and even riding on flat on grass like essentially what like a city park would have right so in the last couple years i've started doing a bunch more work on like 20 to 40 second like full like really hard but sustainable uh 
efforts on grass and and you can do it like you're where molly's parents live in new jersey there's a park 20 to 40 second great climb nice little like worn in path um we have one here in collingwood there's i can think of about five in toronto so again park access is very possible to do intervals and again that same example of that like 40 seconds cross-eyed but like trying to keep yourself put together do it 10 times Uh, those ones i think i was doing like five to ten minutes like just spinning easy between uh in the park right just make a little loop so that would be an example of of a specific mountain bike thing that then i'm getting ready for cross-country racing where we have to do less hard but still very intense you know full gas standing like attacks repeatedly for 90 minutes right? right Um, another more fun example would be you get a five minute loop that's sort of technical and fun mountain biking and maybe you do two laps of that so a 10 minute interval and you're able to track how fast you get around that loop so you know okay i get around the loop five it takes me five minutes Um, let's keep it simple so we do one lap and that's an interval so a five minute interval and we do six of those so 30 minutes of work six by five minutes around our loop but we notice that we're getting sloppy towards the end and it's like a five thirty. like intervals four and five and six take us, you know, five and a half minutes. So we're getting a little slower, right? So now the really like specific, this is very specific to mountain bike racing is like, can you come back next week and clean that up? And that cleanup, the fun part here is that it's not just wattage and how fit are you? Like you're probably, did you put a foot down? Did you screw up that log? Did you lose traction? You know, how did you pace that? How did you technically ride? Um, where did you apply that at those watts? Where did you like really flow really well? So it's a super fun workout and very specific to mountain bike racing because it incorporates the technical and the skill aspects, right? Right. Um, and then, okay, so that's, that's all, that's all gold for training outside. I mean, I think that's like, there are some people who aren't able to train outside right now, whether it's just, you know, Right now, you're not really supposed to be driving super far to trails. Sure. Or, you know, it's winter still. Like I said, yeah, the weather sucks. Like risk tolerance is a little low for some people. Right. Um, what I wanted to kind of add to how to train outside is even if you're just at home, like even in our fairly small condo here, you could still train outside by putting the trainer out on your back deck. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't really think about doing that. And even if it's chilly out to start, like, you know, we're getting into springtime. Most of the time it's going to be in the positives at least. So you Enough could be to out ride, there. Yeah. To ride a trainer. Yeah. So I think, start with a coat. Yeah. Like set your trainer outside. Um, you know, a lot of people have backyards and you know, the one, one girl that I coach actually set up a really sweet little loop just in her very small yard, yeah. um, with some obstacles in it so she can practice for some mountain bike stuff. And, you know, she changes it up every week and it's nothing fancy at all, but she's, you know, getting out and doing some log hopping and yeah. And she could definitely do like trainer ride, like rider trainer. If, if she had two bikes, I mean, rollers are nice cause you could, I guess, go between them, but um, she could certainly do like five minutes of intervals or cadence work and then five minutes of bike skills, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I think just kind of thinking, thinking outside of the box. Yeah. And what we'll do often to get ready for mountain bike season, even in a normal year is like, we'll do something like 30 thirties or a combination of like, you know, some sweet spot sort of threshold, like steady work. And then also some th- like 30 seconds on 30 seconds off for five, 10 minutes 
um, to get ready for that off-road TT scenario. But you could certainly tie in some of that like circuit training, strength training I was talking about to, again, get ready for the the technical aspects of of mountain biking or cyclocross or any off-road discipline where we're going to coast, but it's not like coasting easy. Like you have to really move the bike around, right? So it might be 30, 30s, five minutes of 30, 30. So 30 seconds hard, 30 seconds easy on the trainer and then hop off. And you could do again, a little core circuit that's simulating in some ways that off-road time, right? So it might be you know, a bit of squatting, a bit of burpees or push-ups or whatever, right? Like it doesn't, you don't have to really simulate it that closely. Um, but I think that's a great way to, you know, round out your fitness, but also prepare for out, outside. Yeah. Um, so we'd had one more question that was sort of about um, some sports psychology and mental skills for staying focused and motivated during what is now off-season training, and we actually have a sports psych on the on the docket, so I think we're going to let her answer that uh, when we get her on the phone next week, so stay tuned for that episode. But I think a lot of what we talked about actually does sort of apply to that question, you know, focusing on some process, focusing on some weaknesses, um, and really kind of thinking creatively about your training right now. Yes, I think we we have a lot of different ways we can go after this, but I think the the common themes that I'm seeing discussed as people sort of hash through this are what are we trying to do in the the longer term, right? So looking at those dream goals and what you want to be next year or in five years, um, you know, whether it's racing or group rides or whatever the world happens to look like, I think we have to be confident that we're going to get back to something. Mm-hmm. Um so, so do you want to be a better mountain biker? Do you want to be fitter? Do you want to be like, you know, is there body composition stuff you want to go after? Is there strength stuff or is there a knee pain thing you want sort of to make progress on? There's a lot of stuff we can make progress on. And then that's your longer term. The point B point A is what can we do right now? What can we work on? And we just talked about, about, you know, 10 different things, you know, so think about your sport. What are your limiters? What are your strengths? What can we actually work on right now? And that might not be super specific, but that's okay because it's, this person's asked about off season. I would say we're more base two, three, right? This is sort of the, where we are, right? but that means that we can be general. We can be walking. Like we talked about, we can be doing some, some slightly less specific, some more volume, you know, endurance, you know, I don't think we have to be doing a ton of volume, but endurance focused cross training. Uh, we have a lot of options we can be using right now to improve our, our fitness. Right. Yeah. So I think that's, what we want to be thinking about as far as psychology is what can we do and what do we enjoy doing? And then where are we trying to go in the future? Right. Right. Awesome. Well, I think we're going to end on that note. As always, you can send us more questions, head over to consummateathlete.com. Um, we'll have the show notes there. There's a contact form. You can find us on the interwebs at Peter Glassford and at Molly J. Herford on Twitter and Instagram. And if you enjoy this podcast, do us a solid and rate and review it over on iTunes. Subscribe. And we will see you next week. 